So Judges chapter 4, verse 17 to 24. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. Uh, those, of course, are the words of uh, Charles Dickens, a tale of two cities. And they're also words that perfectly summarizes the book of Judges. Uh, this morning we resumed our exploration through Judges, uh, and we mentioned the fact that Judges is an historical account of God's people as they settled in the promised land after, of course, Joshua uh, led them there. And of course, the Joshua generation had died and the people then continued to live in that land. But it is more than just an historical account. Judges, really, as we've been seeing, as we've been going through Judges, it is a story of how God uses weak and broken people in unexpected ways to accomplish his purposes. And Judges, if you like, is a story of some very dark days, but within those very dark days, we see the light of God shining, pointing us forward to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, Brother Michael likes to tell us often that it's the saddest book in the Bible. And of course, that is true. But I think also it's the happiest book in the Bible. Because in the character of these judges like Ayud, Ethaniel, Shamga, and as we saw in Deborah, they are clear pictures, and even Barak, clear pictures pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. Indeed, as we look at it today, this passage we look at from verse 17 to 24, we'll see that even Jael herself points us forward to Christ himself. This morning, as I said, we looked at Judges chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. We saw, what did we see from those verses? We saw Israel, first of all, enslaved by Jabin and Sisera after they had turned away from the Lord. They had forgotten God. And then we saw in verse 4, God raising up this judge, Deborah, a prophetess, to lead his people forward. And we see that Deborah, although she's a prophetess, she doesn't do the work herself. God directs her to raise up another, who would say, judge, Barak, the commander of Israel, to take forward that battle. And we saw that battle take place by the river Kashan as, 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 as Barak and his 10,000 men get down from that 1,800 feet top they were at, get down below, and they confront um, Sisera. But the battle isn't won. isn't won by Barak or the 10,000 men. It's won by the Lord himself. We saw that in verse 15. Look at verse 15 with me for a moment and verse 16. And he says, And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And we mentioned that there, by the way, that the word routed there is talking about how God caused confusion. Uh, in the ranks of Sisera's army as, they, as the river Kaishan flooded and they were now st- struck by the sword of Barak. And this, the verse 15 continues, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away. 
Verse 16 says, And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Arasheth Egohim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. And that's where we left the historical account. We left it as a cliffhanger, isn't it? Because Sisera has escaped. Yes, the entire army has been destroyed by Sisera, has run away. And we're left asking questions. What has happened to Deborah's prophecy in verse 9? Is Sisera too strong for God? Well, this evening we'll answer those questions. So come with me as we conclude this historic epic. As we finish this story, looking at verse 17 to verse 24. Now, you should hopefully have in front of you an outline and uh, there with the title there of the sermon this evening saying, Standing with God. And there are four things I really just want to share from this. They should be in front of you in your outline. Lessons that we learn from this passage and what it means for us. The first thing we learn from the passage is that the strong sometimes get away. The strong sometimes get away. And we have just witnessed one of the greatest upsets in the ancient world. Outgunned and oppressed Israel defeats Sisera's war machine. But like a good film director, the author of Judges now switches his camera away from the battlefield to a man running from that battlefield. Where is this man going? He's running from the battle scene. And we see this man, Sisera, in verse 17. Let's look at verse 17. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Ezel, and the house of Heba the Kenite. Sisera is now a refugee. He's running away from this defeat, and, and as he runs to Jael's uh, tent, uh, he's probably thinking to himself, well, I must make it to Mr. Heber's house. I must make it there so that I can be safe from Barak. And verse 11 already tells us, doesn't it, that Heber belongs to the Kenites. These are the descendants of Moses' father-in-law, and the Kenites live in the south, in Judah. Uh, because Judges chapter 1, verse 16, tells us there. Tells us that. By Heber, what's happened is that Heber has migrated to the north and is come to live somewhere in the north, as good nomads do. These are nomadic people. And somewhere he has struck a good deal with Jabin. There is peace between Heber and Jabin. We need to understand that because even though we don't know what sort of deal that has been struck here between Heber and King Jabin, Sisera feels secure enough to run to Heber's tent, to run now to Jehel's tent uh, to seek refuge. And so we see here, first of all, that Cicero arrives successfully and he heads to Jehel's tent, uh, probably because it's a woman's tent, we are told. Uh, in that verse, it says that verse, uh, verse 17, but Cicero fled away on foot to the tent of Jehel. Uh, he's running away from Barak and he's worried that perhaps, uh, you know, Barak is out looking for him uh, and therefore he makes his way there. And Cicero does what? He arrives there successfully and is very, very happy. At this point, we pause the narrative. 
Because we recognize that actually he's got there and now he's safe in Jehel's place. He has got away. He has escaped while his troops are being mowed down. And the world has not changed since the days of Sisera. Time and time again we see strong people run away, get away, and they are safe and secure. Time and time we see crimes are committed and the strong man, the perpetrator, gets away while the little people, of course, get all tied up. The Sudanese president, Omar al-Bashir, is currently wanted for genocide after the Janjaweed killed civilians in Darfur. They have tried to look for him, but they can't extradite him anyway. He's still president of the Sudan. They have caught small people, but they have failed to get him. In 2011, we saw what? The rise of the Occupy movement. And the Occupy movement, you know, Occupy Wall Street, Occupy London. What was their argument? Their argument was that the rich people had become too strong and they were getting away, especially in the area of taxes, at the expense of the poor. The strong people sometimes get away. And closer to home, we've seen families of soldiers who lost their lives in, during the invasion of Iraq. They believe powerful politicians knew the truth at the time, and their loved one lost their lives in Iraq on the pretext of a false Whoa! Now you may argue about whether the war was legitimate or not, but from, the, from their own perception, the strong people did what? Got away from justice. And perhaps the best example of the strong getting away of strong people is government legalized murder of defenseless infants. Abortion, of course, is people getting away at the expense of infants. All of these things remind us that the world has not changed since the days of Cicero. It reminds us that sin in our world has led to a situation where the strong sometimes get away. That's the first point we learn from here. The strong sometimes get away. But here is the good news. We always have good news in Judges. The strong sometimes get away, but here's the good news, but no one is stronger than God. No one can outrun God. Sisera reaches Jael's tent and is given a warm welcome. Notice that in verse 18. It says, And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. We pause there. We see that perhaps at this point now, Sisera, we can imagine him feeling relieved. He's finally safe from Barak. And Jael's words are soothing. She's saying, don't worry. Trust me. You are safe now. Sisera, of course, has every reason, as we said, to be worried. He is the most wanted man in the Jezreel Valley. And Barak won't rest until he finds him. And of course, to make it worse now, Sisera has another reason to be worried, because he has come to a woman's tent, to a tent of another man's wife. What happens if Heber walks in? But Jael's words overpowers him. Let's continue verse 18. 
And he says this, so he turned aside to wine into the tent, and she covered him with a rag. And he said to her, that's Cicero now, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. We can picture him sitting comfortable there with a thick goatskin rag. And chapter 5 tells us that actually Jael gives him this milk in a what? In a noble's bowl, very wonderful bowl. And he's drinking, he's comfortable there. And of course now with his stomach full, Sisera now is to stand back to his safety. He's comfortable now, so he needs to make sure everything is going well. So look at this. 20. He said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. It's amazing. He does not want anyone, not even Jael's husband, to know he's there. And of course, at this point, Jael surely recognizes that this man is in trouble. He's no longer the Sisera she may have known. Uh, we can imagine, of course, Jehovah, she hears his words, nodding and quietly leaving him to sleep. At this point, all is well in Sisera's world. But Jehovah returns later with a surprising present. Look at verse 21. But Jehovah, the wife of Eber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the tent peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Jael's actions are shocking. After such a friendly welcome, she has sneaked up on a defenseless Sisera and driven a tent peg into his head. We are not surprised she knows something about ten pegs because, of course, at this, at this time, women are the ones who are responsible in this nomadic tribe of theirs for making tents. She's an expert at that. So she owns a hammer and she owns a ten peg. But we are surprised with the sheer ugliness of what has occurred here. It is difficult to put into words. Sisera is not dying in combat. Is dying at home, and Jael has killed him through deception. We should pause and agree that these types of events are very difficult for us to read in the Bible. We are wondering why are such things in the Bible? And of course, the reason God includes them in the Bible is to help us understand and see for ourselves the ugliness of sin in the world. This is what sin has done to us. Sin has reduced us to murdering one another with a tent peg under the pretense of friendliness. And it has been this way since the day Cain murdered Abel. This is the world we live in, a world where we kill one another and the Bible shows life as it is. And it is portraying for us how life looks like. In times of war, but also our human nature. 
But the main point of this incident is that whatever we think of jail, our actions have been ordained by God according to Deborah. And that's important because look at Judges chapter 4 verse 9 told us already to, to remember that. What did Deborah say to Barak? She says, and she said, I will surely go with you. Uh, at this point, Barak, of course, as you remember, has refused to go along with Deborah. And she says to him, I will surely go along with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead you to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. We were not told at that point where who this woman will be. But we found out Deborah's prophecy concerns jail bringing this judgment. And Sisera, if you like, is ultimately dead at the hands of God. As Sisera has tried to run away, but he has found that his legs are too short to outrun God. As Sisera is a strong man who has found out in a very brutal way that God is stronger than us. And he has paid the price for the wages of his sin. What are Sisera's sins? We need to ask that. Well, Deborah's song reveals the extent of Sisera's evil through an imagined conversation between Sisera's mother and Amos. Turn to Judges chapter 5, verse 28 to verse 30. Listen to what Deborah has to say about this event. Out of the window, she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoiled of dyed materials, embroiled, two pieces of dyed work, embroiled for the neck as spoil. In Deborah's poetic rendering there, she's reminding us, first of all, that Sisera is the man who plunders the Jewish people. We saw in the morning that not only has he disarmed them, he has been oppressing them cruelly with his 900 chariots. But she also reveals something very important in verse 30. She says this, Have they not found and divided the spoil? What is a spoil? A womb or two for every man. The, The actual wording there in the original language is conveying really sex slaves, so to speak. Sisera isn't just... It's enslaving people. When he goes to war, he captures his sex slaves and he keeps them. That's the actual rendering of this. He's, he's practicing the worst form of debasing women. And God's judgment now has reached him. And God's vengeance has visited him in the most devastating way because of his sins. And his death reminds all of us that God takes sin Seriously. Our sin deserves severe judgment from God because it not only defiles the law of God, it takes people who God has made in his image and abuses them. 
Sister isn't just sinning against God, he's, 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 he's sinning against everyone as well, so to speak. And therefore, God's judgment on Sisera should comfort those of us who have experienced any emotional and physical violence of any kind. It should comfort us when we see perhaps people being enslaved in our time and see that there's a God who cares for the sex slaves. There is a God who cares for those that are, suffer terrible violence. And we've seen violence, of course, recently we've seen the acid attacks and many other things. Isn't it amazing to know there's a God who cares deeply about that and is doing, and he has a plan to put it right. He should also comfort all of us who are believers in Christ because we know that no one gets away with it in the end. One expert tells us that a Christian is killed for their trust in Jesus every five minutes. There is a Christian killed every five minutes around the world for their faith in Jesus. And we may wonder, where is justice? God's answer is that justice is here. It is in Jehel's actions. This judgment on Sisera is a foretest of the ultimate judgment God has planned in now for those who oppress God's people. The death of Sisera is a reminder that the strong, yes, sometimes get away with it, but it is only for a season. No one is stronger than God. In the end, justice will be done. That's our second point. The first point, the strong sometimes get away. But then we learned in, verse, in, in the second point, but no one is stronger than God. Here's the third point we learned from this passage in Judges 4. We learned that God chooses the weak to shame the strong. Why Jehel? The answer is God chooses the weak to shame the strong. As Sisera is dead, but Barak is still looking for him. And he gets some wonderful news once he arrives at Mr. Heber's territory. Look at verse 22. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come and I'll show you the man who... Come and I'll show you the man whom you are seeking. Uh, we can imagine at this point Barak probably gleaming with his eyes. Wow, you know, maybe Deborah got it wrong after all. I mean, perhaps the glory is still mine, he's thinking to himself. Then he enters jail's tent. Look at that, verse 22 finishes. So he went in to a tent and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. Man. The look on Barak must be worth a thousand words. Barak's silence here is deafening. He doesn't even say anything. Because it dawns on him now that Deborah was right all along in verse 9. The glory, even though he pursues it, in the end, God's word stands still. The glory belongs to Jael and not to him. God now uses Jael we notice not only as a, by killing Sisera, God now 
He uses Jehu almost as an impetus now to crush King Jerbin and fully deliver the people of Israel. Look at verse 23 to verse 24, how this chapter ends. So on that day, God subdued Jerbin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed Ada and Ada against Jerbin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jerbin, king of Canaan. Twice his name is mentioned, in fact, three times, to remind us that his reign is finished because God has now acted. On what day? On that day that Jehu has crushed Sisera. God is the architect of this amazing turnaround. The people who were once oppressed now have driven out their oppressors. God is the architect. He has his fingerprints all over it. And God has done it again and again through a woman. We saw God use Deborah to inspire the nation. Now we see another hero. Jail a woman. Which we, let, let us note here, by the way, that God loves using women for his glory. And he has already, as I said, used a Jewish mother and wife. And now he uses, not a Jewish mother, he uses a non-Israelite wife. God loves women. And he uses them for his glory. He loves men as well, but let's note that particularly. That in this verse, he's making clear his love to use them for his service. But it is more than that. God here isn't just using jail. He's honoring this non-Israelite woman married to a dodgy husband. Jael's name will now go down in history. I mean, Heber is not sort of a good guy, really, isn't it? He has betrayed the Israelites. He's in league at the time. He's like a friend of Saddam Hussein, basically. And God chooses this woman, Jael, married to this dodgy man, and honors this woman, gives her this glory. Her name now goes down in history, and we are reading about her. And indeed, Deborah the prophetess, gives her that divine seal of approval in Judges chapter 5, verse 24. Look at what she says about Jael. She, she writes a song about her, and she says this, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite, of twin-dwelling women most blessed. Twice she's reminding us that this woman is blessed, and she even gives her that title that in the scriptures is only used for Mary. We'll come to that in a moment. The point here is that Jael has killed a man, not just any man, a strong man. God honors her through that. Sisera, on the other hand, what has happened to Sisera? He has died a shameful death. Uh, his glory has gone to jail. And in this culture and time, being killed by a woman is the height of shame. For a strong man like Sisera to die this way, it is unthinkable. Sisera, we might say, who oppressed women in his life, he carried them as booty of war. He kept sex slaves. This man now, on his tomb is written, herein dies, we might say, if there's any tomb of Sisera, surely what must be written there is that herein dies Sisera. A man who oppressed women in life and dies now at the hands 
of a woman. But let's note an important point. Sisera is not the only one who has been out-honored by Jair. Who's the other man who must be thinking that things aren't so good? Barak. Because every time the name of Sisera is mentioned, what will go through Barak's mind? He's thinking, if only. If only I had obeyed. If only I had obeyed when Deborah summoned me first time around. Barak, too, is covered with shame. Jehu is a reminder here that God chooses the weak to shame the strong. He has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The weakness of Jehu as a woman who defeats a strong man. What does it point us to? It points us forward to the arrival of the wicked savior of all. The Lord Jesus. Now in some sense, Jehu's character and methods are so different from Jesus. Jehu is devious. Jesus is honest. Jehu is violent. Jesus is peaceful. But admittedly, Jehu's actions foreshadows Jesus as the weak savior who through the tent peg of the cross crushes the strong man, Satan. Sisera is really a type of Satan, isn't it? Who opposes God's agenda in this world. And in crushing his head, Jehu's action resembles God's Messiah. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, God had promised what? That the offspring of Eve will one day come and do what? And crush the serpent's head. Look at Genesis chapter 5, chapter 3, verse 15. You remember this passage? It says, and I'll put enmity between you, God judging the serpent. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and our offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Well, that passage, that promise is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus who came and crushed Satan and all his minions on the cross and delivered victory for us who are in Jesus once and for all. If you like in Jesus, God has chosen the witness of the cross to shame our strong enemies of sin, death, and hell. This is our victory. We have in Christ. And Jehovah's action are pointing us towards that victory. So how then should we respond to this God who is strong for us in Christ? Well, this might surprise you. We must follow Jehovah's example. And this is our final observation. Uh, the point number one, we said what? The strong sometimes get away. But we noted that they may get away, but you know, no one can outrun God. No one is stronger than God. And then we've just seen that God demonstrates his strength by choosing the weak to shame the strong. And, that, and then how should we respond to this God who does this? Well, our final observation this evening. We must stand with God. We must stand with God. Now, there's an important question that we... It's probably the most difficult question in all of Judges. And the question is, what is so blessed about Jael? Why does Deborah call Jael blessed? We know it can't be for the actual killing itself, because in doing that, she breaks two commandments. 
Thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not lie. So it can't be for that. Well, the answer is that jail is honored, first of all, as an act of grace, yes, by the Lord. But she's honored through her actions because she simply sides with God's people rather than siding with the enemies of God. You see, the issue here is not so much the ethics of what jail has done. It's It's quite amazing as you think about it. The issue in life isn't really so much an issue of ethics. It is who we are trusting and standing next to. We learned this morning that we can't get to heaven by keeping the rules. The question is, who are we trusting and standing next to? And that's the question she faces. Will she choose Sisera and Heber, or will she stand with God's people? And Jael chooses to side with God's agenda. Now, we may think this evening that that's a small thing, but it is not. This is not a small choice for this non-Israelite woman. Uh, First of all, think about the killing of Sisera itself. It's a risk undertaking. The Bible specifically tells us she goes to him, what, softly. Why? Because if she goes there, rush, and he gets up, that's the end of jail. So first of all, she's stepping out in faith, even as she does that. But also imagine after Sisera is dead, how life looks like when Mr. Heber turns up. He's probably feeling betrayed. Why did my wife allow a man in her tent? He's not worrying about Sisera. He said, why is he here in the first place? She's probably thinking, why have you all, lady, why have you destroyed everything we've worked for? I have a good peace deal with Jelbin. Life is going okay. Look, we're doing all right. And there you go, you kill this man. And most importantly, why violate our traditional way of life? This is not how you are meant to treat strangers in this culture. Life must be difficult the next day. But Jael is happy to take all of that because she's only concerned with God's agenda. She has stepped out in faith and taken a stand with God. And she's like Jesse Rao, we said of Deborah, she's prepared to stand alone against her husband and all her clan. And she's now called blessed through it. If you like, jail like Christ as he entrusted herself to him who judges justly. She has totally surrendered to God like Deborah has done as well. And we who are God's children must learn this lesson from this lady. We must do the same. Now, of course, Paul tells us that we are already standing in the grace of God. But friends, standing in the grace of God is a dynamic posture. It's not static. It's not a one-off thing, simply standing. We must go on standing in the grace every day. Each day we must deny ourselves and pick up the cross and follow him. It means every day continuing to trust God through the weakness, through the weakness of the cross that has delivered us from our enemies. It means taking up the crucified life. You know, Jesus has been crucified in weakness for you. You know he has used the tent peg of the cross. And he has rescued you from sin, death, and hell. You know all of that. But does that sacrifice of Jesus shape how you live? Well, standing with Jesus is letting the cross 
be the template for how we live. So the question is, do you live now knowing you have been truly saved from your sin? Are you depending and standing in his perfect righteousness? But let us see that simply trusting Christ should change us. This grace we've received should create in us the compassion of grace that moves us to surrender every area of our lives to him. And sometimes, as we've seen in jail, it means standing with the weak against the strong. So God is challenging us today to remember that we serve a strong God who has lavished his grace on us through the weakness of the cross. So let us come to him. Let us take our stand with him. Let us surrender every area of our life to him. As Jehovah has done. Amen.